many years ago, I had an opportunity with one of my parishes uh, to take a group on a pilgrimage uh, to Ireland. And, and uh, while we were there, there uh, we were in a town called uh, Westport. It's on the west coast of Ireland, it's on the sea. And at the, the, like, uh, at the mouth of the bay there, which leads to this, this town, Westport, is a big, a big mountain, uh, Cropatrick. The Irish, they, they call it the, the Reek, R-W-E-K, the Reek, the rock. It's a big rock. And you can climb it. It's, it's a pilgrimage site. There's people there all day long uh, climbing uh, Cropatrick. It starts early in the morning, goes well into, into uh, the evening. And so I uh, decided one morning when we were there in Westport that I was going to climb it. And uh, nobody in the group wanted to go with me. So I, but I said, oh, I'm going to go. And so I got up early and uh, walked out to uh, the, the place where the mountain is, and I started to climb it. And, you know, it takes better part of a morning to do it. It's, it's pretty arduous, and it's, it's a lot of loose rocks, free. And it was also kind of raining that morning. It was misty, cloudy. You couldn't even see the top. Uh, the clouds were so low. And, uh, but I got up there. And, and, and this is the, and it was an amazing thing. Right as I got up there, the, the, the wind comes in off the sea and blows all the clouds away. And, uh, it's glorious. You could see forever. Motion and into the town and the, the, the islands and the, the hills beyond. It was lovely. Uh, so I, uh, there's a, a little chapel up there that's, that's built, it's a, but it was locked. So I couldn't say mass in there. But I, you know, I had my mask kit with me and my knapsack and little, you know, just the things that I would need. And uh, so I just said, all right, I'll, I'll do what probably Patrick did. Because, you know, Patrick lived up on, on top of that mountain for the whole season of Lent back in his day. And so I just built my own altar. So I, there's lots of rocks up there. And so I just collected a bunch of stones and I, I made a, you know, about this high altar. Tried to make it flat on the top as much as possible. And I... And I took out my corporal and my chalice and, you know, things, some host and a little uh, missile and, and uh, had water and wine with me. And so I was all set to go. I was going to put my uh, elb and my vestment on and, that I had with me. And uh, there's, a, there's only about, uh, at the time, that was later in the morning, there's probably about 20 people up there at the time. And they're all just kind of walking around and they're... One of them was watching me and comes over, this older gentleman, and he says, hey, are you a priest? <laughs> I said, what gave you the idea? And, uh, and he goes, well, it's, it looks like you're getting ready to say Mass. Do you, do you mind if uh, we, my family would join you? I said, sure. That'd be great. Are you Catholic? He goes, yeah. And I said, you're from his accent. I said, you sound like you're British. And he goes, I am. And um, I'm here with my family, my wife. Uh, she just passed away, and... Uh, she was Irish, and we came here because she was born in Westport, and, we, and she loved this hill, so we decided to climb it in her memory today. I said, how about that? I said, well, we're going to say Mass for your, for your wife, you know? And uh, I said, which, which ones are yours? And he goes, all of them. So there's like 20 people and his family that had come with him. And I said, okay. I said, so are, how many of you are going to go to communion? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, should, you, should all of you go to communion? And he goes, ah, maybe not. <laughs> I said, 
I said, well, let's, let's uh, before Mass, I'll, I'll hear confessions. And so, uh, I had some good business that morning, you know? <laughs> but how awesome is that? Here we are on top of uh, uh, this mountain, and we're, we're getting ready to offer the sacrifice of the Mass, and, and these people are being reconciled to Jesus before, before, before the Mass. It was glorious. That day when we said Mass for that, that, that dear man's uh, departed wife, huh? And it got me thinking this week, because you know during Lent, uh, especially in this year, year B, uh, the, the readings, uh, all of them, every Sunday has, has a reference or an explicit reference to uh, the covenants that God made with us. You know, there, there, were, there were six of them, right? We know this, that it starts with Adam, that was on a mountain, uh, went to Noah, that was on a mountain, went to Abraham, that was on a mountain, Moriah, uh, then we, we, we go to, uh, uh, to uh, Moses, we know that was on a mountain, Sinai, and, and we get to David, that was on a mountain, that was on, on, uh, on the mountain of, of Jerusalem there, and these covenants, you say, what were those things? You know, we hear about covenants, and what was God trying to do? Well, God was trying to, to be friends with us. You say, somebody said, what, what, what was the covenant for? It was, to, it was to help us be his family. Because we all need to belong to a family, don't we? We all need to be loved. We all desire that. Is the deepest desire of our heart is to be loved. And so God who makes us knows this, and so he wants to love us. But we kept spurning his love. It's like in Jeremiah. You know, he talks about you know, the covenant that I made with you, which you broke. And in one of the better translations, it says, and I was your husband. Oh, this God who is so intimately involved with us, who knows us. You know, that word know, it's the same word that's used for Adam and Eve when they knew each other and they had children. It's, it's, it's physical. It's experiential. It's not abstract. We say God loves me. It's not some notion. It's, it's a real physical, spiritual, psychological experience. When you feel loved by God, don't you know it? Like you walk out of the confessional, you feel known. You experience Jesus in the Eucharist, you know him. You feel experiences love. This is what God wants for us, but we kept losing that because we kept being so disobedient. Adam and Eve, they walked with God hand in hand in the, in the garden in the breezy time of the day, as Genesis tells us. It's, it was real. They, they describe it as holding his hand and walking with him. But we let his hand go. And we lost that experience. And, and so God says, but I love you and I'm going to keep after you. And so every time, he's, he's like, what do I have to do to, re- let you, to let you know that I love you this much? All right, you know, Noah, let's try this one. Eh, it didn't work. Let's, all right, Abraham, let's try it with you. And even three, one, three, three covenants with him. Let's try, but it didn't work. Maybe with Moses, no. You know, and, and, that, and that, by this time, what you're figuring out, brothers and sisters, what we figure out is that the more we spurn God's love, the, the more distant we get from him. The more God distances himself from us. 
And, and instead of it being one-on-one, face-to-face, hand-in-hand, now it's, it's being mediated separate, through separate things. By the time we get to, to Sinai and Moses, it's, it's in the commandments. It's a, it's a stone tablet. It's the law. Rather than holding hands with God, now we're, we're carrying around the weight of stone law, burdensome. Anything, though, to keep us in the game. But even that was impossible. David, okay, we'll try, but no, that didn't work. Solomon was a mess. And then we get the, the, this interim period with the prophets. You know, this, this reading from Jeremiah that we just heard is probably the most significant of the, of the writings of the prophets. It's the only time in the Old Testament that we get the word new covenant because the old ones didn't work. So Jeremiah says, you guys don't get it. You don't trust that God loves you this much. So we're going to have a new covenant, a new one, a different one. Not something written on stone, but something written on your heart. Something that will free you from the burden of the law by filling your heart with love. The love that you so desperately desire but are so afraid to accept. New covenant in my blood. This is the this covenant, this this passage from Jeremiah is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. So they took this chat, this what we heard in Jeremiah is, com- is quoted verbatim in the New Testament in Hebrews. It's the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament. That's how important it is. This new covenant. It says, God says, every time I tried it with you, it didn't work. We become more and more estranged and distant. This, this covenant that I made with you, which you broke, and I was your husband, and I'm going to be again. I'm going to give you the bridegroom, love incarnate, and he's going to stand in the gap, and he's going to make it right. There's going to be one more mountain, one more covenant, and it's it, and it's enough. So on that mountain of Calvary, I'm going to tell you how much I love you. And I'm going to give you the strength to accept it. I'm going to give you the power to live that love and trust that love that it is enough for you. So Jesus, and this is the marvelous thing, where we once held hands with God and walked with him, now Jesus is going to reach out to us once and for all to grab us and to re-establish us in the house. Jesus stretches out his arms and pours his life's blood out for us to reach for us and bring us once again into the house of the Father, into the wedding feast, into the family, to remind us that this relationship of life and love is not just for the Jews, but Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus that there were others who were coming, who were Gentiles. Now the house isn't just Israel, it's everyone, it's all of us. There's room enough for everybody on this mountain. You come into Mass this morning and you climb this mountain of Calvary so that Jesus, in a representation of that moment of Calvary, is reaching out to us and embracing us and pulling us into the house of the Father. That disobedience, which separated us from God, 
was lived out in the very liturgical life of Israel, they could only get so close. In the temple, there were, there were areas that they couldn't go, and that inner area, the Holy of Holies, was, was shrouded by a veil. They could not enter. Only the high priest got to go in once a year, and that was a punishment to remind them of the sins that had separated them. And so what happens when Jesus goes and he embraces us and pulls us in? He rips the temple veil open. The, the, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, which symbolized that that wall of separation, that veil that kept us from God's presence is gone. Jesus, by his blood, has brought us in, into his family once again as our bridegroom and married us and brought us into the Father's house for the wedding feast. Isn't that amazing? You see, now you notice, I don't know if you noticed, but this, there's, the cross is veiled. The statues are veiled. Did you notice? And you say, why did we do that? It's one of those crazy Catholic things. <laughs> and it, it's, it's like this. And it's, it's, a great, there's great, it's a great symbol because it's got multiple meanings. On one hand, you say, all right, we're, we're going to veil the statues and the cross to create a more solemn experience as we move into the last week of Lent and to Holy Week into the Paschal Mystery. Yes. We can also say that we cover up the statues and the cross to say, don't look at a saint, be a saint, don't look at the cross, live the cross. Yes, that's true. But in another way, we veil the cross as a, as a as symbol that through the Paschal Mystery, the veil that separates us from the love of God is going to be removed through this action so that we can once and for all be brought in beyond the Holy of Holies, beyond, beyond the veil, into heaven. Jesus is going to take our flesh into heaven. Our flesh is in heaven. There is no wall of separation because Jesus has come and brought us into himself. Now, you say, Jesus, when he did this, what was he doing? Jesus up there on the cross as he's standing in the gap to take his Father's hand and our hands and to bring them together. Jesus up there, he looked, at, he looked out in his omniscience. He saw all the sins that had ever been committed in the world. He saw all the sins that were being committed at that moment. And he looked ahead to this time and to all times ahead to see the sins that you and I are guilty of. Jesus on the cross looked at you, your face, your heart, and saw your sins and forgave them because he loves you and he wants you to experience that love is the deepest desire of your heart, fulfilled. We're loved. We can do anything. Now, this week, uh, on Wednesday, 24th, is be reconciled. And we got confessions every day in this parish. But on Wednesday, they're going to be from 9 in the morning till 8 at night. All day. All three priests here in confessions at Crane Road. Because we got business. <laughs> we, we got things to talk about. Jesus wants to sit with you for a moment and to heal you and to be merciful and to love you. And to reestablish you into the house. It's like that family on the mountain. As we're getting ready to experience Jesus taking our hands in, in, in the Father's hands and bringing us together. What took place first? Reconciliation. 
What takes place first? Reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, I'm not naive. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Business is good. <laughs> now, what did, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, 12 uh, chapter 12, 20, verse 27? He who eats the body and drinks the blood of the flesh uh, and uh, uh, eats the body and drinks the blood uh, of Jesus Christ unworthily heaps condemnation on himself. We forget that. Now, it's not applying to venial sins. We know what venial sins are, easily forgiven sins. We've all got that. We confess that when we go to confession, but it doesn't keep us from going to the Eucharist because venial sins are forgiven when you say an act of contrition, when you go to communion, when you uh, do the Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, when you just say, Jesus, I'm sorry, your venial sins are forgiven. Now, we still confess them because we, we want to be healed of those small sins which can become big sins, right? But it's the moral ones that do us in. It's the moral ones that Jesus got up on that cross and died for. It's the, it's the mortal ones that need to be taken care of before we come to the altar. Yeah, I know that's hard. And there might be some today who are conscious of, conscious of mortal sin. What's a mortal sin? We know. Mortal sin is something that is seriously wrong. I know it's wrong, and I do it anyways. I don't care. Serious matter, know it's serious, freely choose it. That's, that's, that's a mortal sin. If we're guilty of it, we're not supposed to come to communion until we get reconciled. So be reconciled this Wednesday, if that's the case. And today, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I did, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I got some mortal sin. You can still come up, get a blessing. If you don't want to do that, Stay in your pew, make a spiritual communion, and get ready to come to confession this week. Let that be the motivation so that Jesus can take you by the hand and bring his Father's hands, and you can be reunited. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows your business, and he wants to talk with you about it. And he wants to tell you that through it all, through thick and thin, there's no thing, no thing you could do that would ever stop him from loving you. He just wants you to experience that love. So let him take care of you. Let him take care of your business, huh?